This podcast was recorded on March 22nd, 2022. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and people outside the binary. Broken Class is back in session. I'm your discussion leader, Thomas Huda. What a pleasure it is to have my good friend. Well, not somebody I've spent a lot of time with before, but I feel a strong kinship with because of our common interest in the performing arts community here in Eugene and Lane County and historical Kalapuya Elihi. This is Benny Cosmic, y'all. How you doing, Benny? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Tom. You? Thomas. Do you yeah. prefer Tom or Thomas? Um, I'm probably more into the Thomas, but I don't mind Tommy and I don't mind Tom. All right. How about T-Supreme? T-Supreme. That sounds like a Taco Bell item. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thomas it is, then. Yeah. <laughs> I better be worth more than the cheesy gordita crunch, <laughs> yes, though. That's definitely. all I'm saying. Definitely. Definitely. Cool. Well, we're already going to just kick it off with the first question of the show. Right on. What's a controversial opinion that you hold about anything? I think Nicolas Cage is a bad actor. Oh, have you even, <laughs> se- have you even seen Raising Arizona? Yes, I've, I've had this debate many times. Nicolas Cage just plays himself and he puts on some sort of weird <laughs> costume. He's, he's not acting, he's just himself with the costume. Every role is something he sincerely <laughs> yeah, just wants just, to be doing. It's just he doesn't he even know it's done. fiction, he yeah. thinks it's a documentary. Well, the he's, reason, like, <laughs> he's like, we're going to steal the Declaration of Independence. He's, they're like, you know, Nick, we're, we're going to put a pin on that. Definitely a great movie idea. Great movie. <laughs> idea we're gonna do that <laughs> we're not good. gonna steal it we're gonna make a movie all right i love it i love it I, and i like the way that people interpret controversy differently you know because some people might take it to a really deep place oh i was thinking about it but i was like ah this is the first thing that came to mind yeah <laughs> i was i usually go with that my well, gut feeling was like let people know what you think about nicholas cage but isn't it also kind of accepted that he's like that kind of so bad it's good kind of like well Keanu he became Reeves. like a meme for yeah. some reason. like he's like the internet yeah. meme right now and i just saw there's a movie where he's playing himself and oh, i really yeah it's, oh right it, i saw I a trailer I for it that. yeah it's mm-hmm. like the unmeasurable weight of immense talent which exactly right, <laughs> right that's right, right. that's like that's a grotesque name in itself pretty, yeah pretty self-indulgent i would say but uh it yeah, reminds man. me a little bit of and i respond to this quite differently with weird al has this for the second time he's going out on a tour called like the ridiculously ill-advised self-indulgent vanity tour oh my goodness. it might even be something like that, that is because he's that doing no parodies game. he's doing almost no parodies and he that's what he's known for yeah but he also wait he does he actually make like his own songs though he has songs that he actually makes that are silly and often they're really complex and eight minutes like jackson park express so kind of like a frank zappa kind of vibe or oh very much so i think okay. that Z- i don't i don't think you get weird out without zappa uh, fair fair you i know? can see that you yeah know? i can see like the succession yeah exactly in a lot of ways in a lot of ways that's that's cool i didn't think you'd bring up uh rest in peace frank zappa yeah man you know Cosmic his daughter's debris. name is his daughter's name is moon unit what yeah his I daughter's name is, he has a daughter named moon unit he's got a son named dweezel I would be friends with Dweezil. Yeah. Maybe Moon Unit too, depending <laughs> on how cool they are. <laughs> it was, uh, in uh, in uh, Austin Powers 2, it's the one I believe where, it might be 3, um, but like uh, Dr. Evil's on the moon. And have you seen these movies? Yes, of course. Right. And uh, he's basically got. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's basically got. Like this laser, he's trying to shoot that that laser. Earth from the yeah, lasers, <laughs> and uh, and uh, he basically says like we've uh, engaged with all of the prototypes and all of the blueprints for Moon Unit Alpha 
to Moon Unit Zappa. Just, <laughs> nice. <laughs> just like a dumb little that reference. That is a great reference. So now that I know, that yeah. is perfect. I gotta re. There's yeah. like I've made it a point to like rewatch a lot of movies I saw as a kid. Nice. As I'm older, to first to see if they hold up. Now that I'm older, and secondly yes. is just catch references I didn't catch the first time around, like that. Like you know, like. If I would have watched them, like, Moon Unit Zappa, I'm like, yeah. oh my goodness, that is genius. <laughs> like, who was the writer on that? <laughs> well, uh, before we get too carried away into all the things that I think we could enthusiastically talk about, um, just let's give people a background about you within the community. You um, have been the host of a radio show uh, with KEPW, mm-hmm. uh, Eugene Peace Works Radio. And um, you also are really, in my heart and in my mind, Known as a very dynamic live performer of original music. Thank you. That is hip-hop in nature, but also encompasses funk, soul, R&B, and to whatever extent you even really accept those labels. I think that you do a great job of, uh, of exploring what makes music beautiful from all those different domains. So, uh, how'd you get into it? Just music in general? Yeah. Um... I would say it was uh, my grandmother, who I call Nana. Uh, she was, uh, yeah, man. Like I, w- I went to like a lot of like churches and stuff like that when I was little, and she used to get me like singing in church. And eventually, she got me in choir. And then I stopped going to church, and then I just started singing on my own. And mm. then she was like, "Oh, you're a good singer. Keep you know, keep singing, keep it up." Mm. And I would just be like, "Okay, yeah." Um, I didn't really think of anything of it. And then eventually, other people started telling me I, I was good at it because, nice. like, my whole thing was like, "I oh, yeah, of course my grandma's gonna say I'm a good singer. She's my grandma, <laughs> you know." So I was like, oh, "Yeah." Until other people started saying it who didn't have any reason to say it, I was like, "Oh, I was like, oh wow, okay, I guess I can actually do this then," because you know, public is usually your hardest critic right and when that was happening and going to all those churches and whatnot was that around in our current area here or was that elsewhere oh no 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 so um i grew up a lot of like different places mostly socal but like just a bunch of different cities in socal moved around a lot um when did you come out here i would say let's see it's 2022 now so about six years i've been out here nice just about yeah i actually it might be seven coming up this august Mm. Yeah, but I came out here when I was like 19, man. I was like, I need to go somewhere where I'm far enough away from my family where they can't just randomly pull up on me. Um, Respect that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm the eldest. They depended on me for a lot, so Ah. I needed my own life. Um, And uh, I decided to come up here just because I really always liked trees and there's a lot of nature out here. Um, And then, yeah, weed was legal, dude. I was just like, those are the kind of things I was looking for at 19, I guess. You know, I was like, I need a freedom uh, far enough away to be come home when I want to, but not have home come to me. And then kind of just have the freedom to, you know, do stuff without being worried. Yeah, uh, I grew up around here and I definitely had the the experience of a lot of my friends who um, went to college. They went to OSU and they didn't go to University of Oregon. Mm -hmm. Not because University of Oregon isn't just as wonderful a school as OSU. But because, you know, staying in the exact same spot, Mm -hmm. just that 45-minute buffer, I mean, it will not effectively prevent the tiger parent who's determined to come and ambush you. But it gives (laughs) you at least 45 minutes. Yeah, and then if you hear they're coming, you can at least skirt to, like, Salem or something. Oh, sorry, I was out at dinner. I Um, was was doing something, yeah. (laughs) The reason I asked if it was around here or not is because when you're talking about that feedback people will give you, 
people will really bullshit you around here. Yeah. That, nah. <laughs> they, they will. I, I found it very refreshing when a friend of mine who I'm not that close with, he's actually a lot closer with my roommate grief. Um, but he's also a musician and he attended, um, the protosynthesis show. And we could talk about that a little bit if you want, but you know, we don't have to get into anything in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically after my set, you know, I was gassed up. I felt great. I rocked for like 50 people, you know, and, and I had a little solid crowd of people who were really dancing and vibing with it. And so I felt good, even though I put a lot of density lyrically into my stuff and I get winded, mm-hmm. but I still felt good about how it went. And, um, everybody was very, was, uh, you know, it feels good to get off stage and get your love. And I got that. But then this one gentleman also told me what he thought was whack. And yes, it will stick in your mind more. And that can sometimes be like at the end of the night, you're like, am I whack? But like, that's part of being an artist in general. And it's much better Mm -hmm. to have honesty. Well, yeah. I mean, how else (laughs) are you going to be better? I'd rather, I'd rather be in a room full of no's than a room full of yeses. Right. Because, like, I'll make right. a yes for myself. You know, that's, right. I can't make a no for myself. That's just something I've made a promise. I, you know, I don't, I don't talk negatively about myself in any yeah. way. I don't put myself down. Um, Beautiful. That, that's like, that's just something. And, like, I feel like the way I treat myself trickles into others. So, like, I don't do that to other people. Like, I have people who are always like, you know, those folks who say something like, oh, I'm so XYZ or, oh, right. I'm so negative this. Right. I'll, uh, whenever they're doing that, I'm like, uh, no, I don't think that. You're saying that, but I don't think that. And they nice. usually just look at me and they don't want to argue because, like, yeah. you're going to argue against someone trying to bring you up. And, right, you right, know? right. So, like, uh, even when it comes to that, though, like, when I perform, I get, the most feedback I usually get is usually stuff that's, like, uh, stuff that I know, but it's, right. more, it's like, more uh, reaffirming in the stuff, like, you know, like, you know you usually have a hunch on what you could work on as an individual totally so like usually the feedback i get is reaffirming of the hunch i had so like for instance one time when i was like first starting off my whole thing was um i didn't know that it was better if you i was trying to rap along my lyrics of my song basically just doing like lip syncing type situation Mm. and then this older head was like hey man you're a really great performer but it'd be better if you weren't lip syncing and you were actually just rapping your stuff so people mm. know that you actually recorded instead of just punching in a right. lot of, that'll gain a lot of respect with older heads and right. at the time i was like whatever man i don't need to hear <laughs> nothing from you you're coming on after me yeah and like that kind of like ego from a young man so like right. with that i was just like I, I took it i took it with the grain of salt that i did and you know i made something spicy with it um so <laughs> <laughs> a little cayenne yeah you know i threw it in there but um, so now, you know, I make it a point to like be able to perform my stuff live, even even without an instrument. I can do it acapella Powerful. if the beat cuts off, you know, um, and still bring that energy where like I've had shows where the sound system just cuts off and I just keep rapping and I clap the tempo and people will join right. in and clap and like I'll keep it going like that. Um, and then even more recently, this not the protosynthesis show, but I did a show at the Big Dirty a while back where um the only feedback I got was from like the bartender. He was like, the only thing you're missing is a live band. Like Ooh. if you got a live band that would match your energy, you know, I'm like, oh that's perfect. Yeah. Cause then they could just write off what I'm doing. Yes. Um, but that's more so along the lines of like, that takes scheduling and a whole lot of money. Cause I'd rather, I prefer to pay people who are, you know, playing for me, you know? Beautiful. Um, so that's just kind of how I am with that. Nice. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely something I've already thought about, you know, in the sense of like, how great would it be if I had just a group of people who I can be like, all right, Hey, when I'm doing this move here, just play for like 10 counts, you know? Nice. And then I'll come in on the, on the, you know, on the, 
the 12th count and then sure. we'll, we'll pick up um yeah chuck berry used to lead his band just by tapping his foot exactly you know? right uh, or like uh, people like um parliament parliament is like uh, my favorite performers because i watched a video of them where one of their bass guitarists is literally like floating sideways like defying like they they hooked up like some sort of like strings to his ankles with like like basically like little hatches or satchels or whatever wow that's not the right word but sure, like there was shit. there's some sort of buckles and uh-huh. they had like a thin wire uh basically how they use it in like action films mm. and they had him floating sideways while playing bass and like there's footage <laughs> of this and like they would do crazy stuff Innovative. and that's the thing i think is uh wow. missing in like modern artistry is a showmanship wow uh, i think like pageantry and showmanship is right now it's just like I do enough dances as I do in the music video on stage yeah, and yeah. everybody already knows my lyrics so I don't really have to do anything. Oh, I don't yeah. have to give back to the people cuz they already gave it all to me. That's kind of oh, the energy wow, I yeah, get. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I mean, if you see it's a rare sight to see like a solo MC like having a whole room of 100 plus people on there ev- like hanging with every note because it is hard to bring that performance value up and people don't invest the time and energy to really do that. Whereas if you got a big band, mm-hmm. eight, nine, ten people, it's super it's uncommon to have nobody rocking with it. Because yeah, because there's so much energy. energy. Yeah. Exactly. It's already there. Exactly. It's like people is like with the band, I feel like you just have to um what's the best? you just have to plug in. Whereas whereas with the uh, with the solo artists, what you have to do is you're basically it's a it's like an alternating current, you know, right. um, ACDC motor. It's like, right. it's back and forth. I give you some, you give me some, we keep this energy going. We're, with mm. a band though, you already got a fully charged battery. Direct people current. just, yeah, people just have to plug in and then mm. they can just, you know, they don't have to use as much energy to get themselves going because the band is already going. You know what else too? I, most of every damn show mostly that I've done in my life, I've been my own, I wouldn't call it DJ because I'm playing my tracks off my laptop or my phone. Mm-hmm. And but so, essentially, that's the thing. Though. Exactly, and, and and I'll tell you, I think I we we might agree that like okay, those times when the sound shuts down and you got to rock a cappella or whatever, actually can be more liberating because yeah, now I'm not t- confined to this to time. Beat. Yeah, I'm not to this time signature. I can do whatever. Beat, especially yeah. yeah, if you got a DJ, maybe he could fuck with it live or something or like run some shit back or if you're with a band let's say you forget a bar and you just like you can shoot you them a look or something yeah, like you can improvise and get, get people to do a crowd participation or i've ended i ended songs my recent set with uh i got about 80 percent through the song and i wasn't uh, i couldn't i didn't feel like finishing it and so i just said make some fucking noise for yourselves or whatever yeah, <laughs> and it's it's like, yeah. yeah exactly I, I love i love live music because you can pick up uh, tricks of the trade from from people of so many different genres and mm-hmm. and incorporate them into what you do um i'd love for for people to hear that you have a new <sighs> album out i oh, am yes. very much a fan of it thank you thank yeah. you yeah mm-hmm. um yeah tell the people the name good vibes hood tribes uh brought to you by a bunch of great producers i'm just the vessel in which i speak the stuff they make so the opposite of me I got i'm like it. sitting in here night and day like this is my project i'm gonna do every <laughs> element of this and when it comes out it's gonna be exceptional and see dude i do that and then my friends are just like that dude you've been <laughs> sitting on this for two years put it out now because yeah. like that album i i went with nine tracks but in the process of making that album i have like 45 so like I what i did it. was i had a, like all of my like 
teammates and people I make music with and I respect their opinions, I had them all listen to it. And they, that's probably the biggest ask I've asked of anybody like recently is like, listen to 45 songs of mine and yeah. pick nine of them that are the best. Yeah. You know, that's a big ask because that's a, like yeah. each song is like two minutes. That's that's like an hour, at least two hours of someone's time. So yes. after everybody took the time to do that, I had like at least 20 people give me their nine and then I looked at all of their opinions and I had my own kind of sense of what I wanted on the project and what I wanted to go and I just picked and chose uh, the best ones and the ones that seem thematic in the right way. Yeah. And the idea of that was like, um, I mean, duality at its like core elements, you know, on the basis of it, but it's more so um, kind of how I interpret life is uh, the good vibes is like, no matter what's happening, I'm going to be in a good disposition about it you know mm, like mm. i'm gonna make a way into how it's beneficial for me and right. then um the hood tribes is just like i think that's more so just a recalling of my upbringing because you know growing up in san Bernardino and just uh being of an indigenous descent uh those two things were kind of mixed together to be kind of a what is it the perfect concoction for uh being a hot-blooded individual in the desert so mm. it's just a uh, always being prone to violence and being quick tempered just because that's what you're conditioned to do. So the idea right. was finding a mix between those. Wow. Um, you know, Zappa has a song about San Bernardino. Does he really? It's called San Bernardino. Yeah. What? Um, and it's, it's more of I'm a, I'm liking this guy more and more. Oh, respect. <laughs> uh, well, it's not truly about the city. It's more of a, a, a story of a guy named, uh, uh, he's like a saint bernard <laughs> no no he, he but he's from there or he's living there it's it's not very friendly to the city to the town oh yeah the f city's not friendly to anybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly uh uh and it starts out and it says he lives in mojave in a winnebago his name is Bobby. He looks like a potato. <laughs> and at the end, he goes, Oh, Bobby, I'm sorry. You got to hear about the potato. I really am. Yeah, that's <laughs> but it's funny. The whole refrain at the end is like, They'll spend the rest of their lives in San Bernardino. Yep. Um, which feels a little like um, it's something people say about. Else. Well, it's, it feels like something people say about Eugene, too, is like, Oh, he's going to born here and he's going to die here. Or whatever. Yeah, but, um, that's part of the reason why I moved. Because I was, I read in a book. It was, uh, you know, some rich guy wrote a book, and I decided to read it. <laughs> I'm not, you know, like I'm not gonna shout their name out because they yeah. already make enough money. Right. But like, uh, basically, the paraphrasing is that, you know, you can't find success in the city you grew up in because your worst supporters are always. You know, your people who know you your whole life, you know, people yes. who know you since grade school, they're like, oh, you're not going to amount to anything because I came from the same upbringing as you. And if you're doing it and I'm not doing it, then I'm either mad at you, happy or jealous, you know, like and right. I, like that's I wish I could say there was no other way of that. But that's just human nature, you know. And, and if you come out like, um, you know, swinging for the fences in your home community, like you you will get maybe a little love at first i think too mm -hmm. but like once people are like used to it the standard they hold you to is often like not very reasonable mm -hmm. and, and there's something to be said about having um like when i lived in new york oh my gosh i lived there for nine months and um the best thing that i could ever do for my mental health because i was uh living in like a dorm building where mm -hmm. i couldn't play music was to buy an acoustic guitar for $99, mm -hmm. go to the subway platforms, and play on the subway platforms. 
And it was so insanely like there were times when it was going, well, I'd make 15 bucks an hour just from, yeah, just, just from busking. Yeah. Busking. And it was like, if you go to the rail and like peak hours, you can see on the little like digital sign, it's like, okay, there's one coming. The one train's coming in four minutes and 11 minutes and 16 minutes. So I literally like getting back into the spirit of live music and playing these covers, like these Weezer and Stone Devil Pilots and Beatles songs, like, I only had a repertoire of three, maybe four decent songs. Didn't matter at all because mm-hmm. the audience was constantly, yeah, constantly cycling. Cycled, yeah. And so I got so much like good energy and you got people that didn't give a shit and that's fine. That's yeah. good. Um, but I just really enjoyed like being able to have authentic connections with people. Like even in a city where people are really tend to have their face down and not really like, you know, not stick their neck out. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, so yeah, no, there's something really to be said about that because those sometimes those hometown people like they'll they'll be the first people to be like when you see them at the grocery store they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, and you got the album out. Wow, cool." But like they're not doing they're not listening to it. They're not I just and heard I don't about blame it. people because yeah. I don't want to I don't want to presume like, "Hey, this thing that I'm working on, like this is my eighth studio album. Like you need to care about this. It's mm-hmm. like I'm very much in the camp of you need to make people care. Mm-hmm. You didn't. Well, I you mean, can't spend yeah. a second of time just pitying yourself because people don't care. Well, it's like, I mean, it's just the same thing as like, I mean, any other piece of art is what's the story behind it? Why do people care about it? Like I, and this is something I'm more realizing recently with, um, I went to this, uh, beyond Van Gogh exhibit out there in Portland cool. where they just take his life's work and project it on like crazy digital art. It's really awesome. It's like a projector set up. It's like a live art show. Um, but they had a, through each installment, they had like, uh, excerpts of his life stories and like letters he would write to his brother. Word. Um, but all of that takeaway I took from it was like, I didn't care uh, about Van Gogh at all before right. I went. Like, right. I just went because I thought it'd be a great date, you yeah. know? And I went and then I learned about this artist and I was like, yo, wait, what? So you're telling me he was going crazy and his little brother supported him the whole time? And right. this is why, like, and like, I learned that all of his um, paintings were just uh, his visions from when he was staring out a window of whatever asylum he was in. Really? And, yeah. Wow. Like, yeah. So, like, <laughs> knowing that story, I was like, yo, wait, what? This guy's crazy awesome. I think so, it, it goes in a little bit to uh, we should know more about those things, mm-hmm. but mental health has historically not been yeah. worth discussing because people get the idea that by bringing it up, you're somehow making causing more discomfort than you are uh, ameliorating trauma or alleviating tension. Like, I totally believe in bringing it up. I totally uh, admire and appreciate that in many, many facets of society, and I would say across the political spectrum too, like people are understanding that that sometimes life's really hard and it's hard to get out of your own fucking way. Mm. That's that's true for me big time is, yeah. is being... Uh, and I don't want to be too uh, of the individualistic, meritocratic kind of like, well, if something's going bad in your life, it's just your fault. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> I like that for the people listening on audio. He's doing like a little walk. Like, my name's Jeffrey. I'm going to bootstrap it up because yes. nothing affects me ever. Yes. Yeah. Joe the plumber. who, Yeah. yeah. And so, 
Um, it's interesting to think about, but um, I, I want to get into the content of your album as well because you start off right off the rip with Shadow Boxing. One of my favorite tracks is Nickel and Dimes. Yeah, is it Nickel and Dime I, or Nickel yeah, and Dimes? Nickel and Dime, yeah. Nickel and Dime is I a really good one. one. And then um, there's the one, I don't remember the exact name of it, but I think it's like Red Skin. Uh, Red Skin Bandit, or, yeah. Bandit, I was going to yeah. say, yeah. Yeah, and and so I think there's I'm I'm amazed to see that it was whittled down from from 45 tracks because I because I, I understand when I listen to it that okay okay all of these were top echelon tracks like now that I hear that I'm like that makes sense said, yeah like they I all wanted the cream of the crop I was right, like I was right. like let me shave off the fat after right. I shave off the fat let me cut it into sushi slices what's Boom. the best sushi slice yes yeah i like that yeah but um i feel that it's it's um it's a hostile album and mm. is that is that an okay descriptor no to make that's of it? perfect you're you're addressing i wanted to be evocative yeah i wanted to, i like the idea was that the instrumentation i chose was something that you can hear in any life setting something calming enough that you could hear it whatever you were doing and not be right. thrown off by it it's not jarring or disruptive yeah, but the lyrical but if you content listen, it's piercing. yeah it's like it's like this is what i'm saying hear me and if you don't hear me play that shit again and listen again um and so shadow boxing is kind of a shadow boxing was actually the first song on the album that made me was like this is where the album's gonna go cool because i would my my friend the non-existent prophet uh that's the producer name he goes with uh he made this instrumental um and he had just found like he just reached out to somebody and got the sample for that cello that you hear is like boom 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 mm-hmm. boom 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 that bass line the melodies are the top yeah of too. like he did that and he laid it down and what me and him do is like he'll make the beat i'll freestyle on it and then we'll go back and forth dissect it, and rearrange it how we need to um so when he did that i was like trying to come up with the hook and i was like shadow boxing because i i heard that term i was watching like the new wu-tang uh doc like the mm. the biopic series they have on hulu i was oh, watching what? that when it first came out i gotta check that out and they were talking about uh the art of check uh chess boxing and i was like chess boxing and then i was watching a lot of fighting stuff and i learned about what shadow boxing was and i was like shadow boxing everybody fighting demons and that was like that set yeah. it off and i was like what goes with that and i was like light what i incite you can't deny you see it and that those lyrics are like People Ooh. have always told me that I bring a brightness to their life or I always like, I'm always seeing on the bright side. So it's like, that's just something I do. You can't deny you see that. Right. Um, I'll dive in, uh, food for thought provided while the speaker's beaten. And that one's like, here's my intention. Like, I want you to think while this music is going. And it's like, so I'll dive into your mind and I'll pull you out the deep end. And that's like, you know, that can be left to interpretation. But my intention was... You know, if you're feeling down, play this song, and hopefully I can lift you up with this song. And if not, play it again, and you got other songs to listen to, you know? And so the first verse is about, um, uh, it's like, first verse is about me, my my internal dialogue, or it's like, hippo camel apple trapped inside your temple, active camel, how you handle the way that you want to see this. That's basically me saying hippo campo is like your memories. So it's like yeah. looking back on your memories, Choosing how you want to see your past is what's going to make you move forward. Mm. So, like, so temper battles in the shadows made you handle all the way you want to see this um, uh, from the consciousness that you swear you're, uh, that you swear you're streaming because everybody claims to be conscious or woke, right? So I was like, so who am I but these human eyes? That's me admitting my immortality. Forced to describe why I live this life. 
we're all searching for our meaning so is there no one left to get it right angels falling from the sky no wonder why we crave the high of breaking through glass ceilings and so the hook comes back in where the idea is like uh introspective into basically realizing my role in society at that point in time and then the second verse is basically i'm back from the void to destroy this destroyer that's after like my dark night of the soul Love that. Love that. and then um the third verse is essentially like me realizing that who i am and what i can bring but also accepting the consequences and repercussions of that so the hook the third verse starts off with um the brightest lights cast the darkest shadows uh, which is pretty self-evident if you know that metaphor. Mm. Or he's like, Cassius dodged the draft but was still caught up in their battles. Christ didn't <laughs> want their Ali. cash, so they lashed him like some cattle, took his message, and then taught the peasants how to settle. That's too damn falsetto, but truth ain't no riddle. I'm too smart to give up like Malcolm in the middle. And the idea is that <laughs> we're always in the middle of some some BS, and we're always all smart. We know what's going on, but nobody's doing anything yet. It still perseveres. Right, right. So that one is kind of just holding on to a... Yeah, we, we have a... There's a toxic tendency to assume that being informed about something is like the start and end of how much you should engage with it. Right. Like, I'm it's informed like their baseline. about it. I'm informed about it. It's like, it almost feels like a very Portland-y kind of like, like, oh, yes, like I read the Atlantic article, New Repu Republic article about this. I might have even chipped into the change.org or whatever, you know? Okay, but what did you do? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, yeah. really. And that's kind of like the feeling on that. And then what was the other one? Nickel and Dime. Dude, I feel like I'm uh, getting the honorable role of being genius.com here, <laughs> allowing you to really talk about. Well, honestly, let me say real quick, too, yeah. because I want to hear about Nickel and Dime. Um, but uh, I, I personally, um, you know, my my craft is lyricism i don't do a lot of making of beats i often don't even put that much melody into what mm -hmm. i do but i put my vocal up front in the mix typically mm -hmm. and i've been really trying to see the appeal and the value of of dialing it back and letting it sit comfortably in the mix so that people can hear all the other shit going on in the track that's something you have down to a t with your project and that's why honestly i'll, I'll say that as you're telling me these lyrics, I'm like, oh, I recognize the patterns and the flows, but I didn't know that's exactly what you, you were saying. You, yeah, you gotta you really to, hear it. Yeah, and that's, that's what pulls idea. people in. It's like it, I'm reminded of this stupid um, thing when I was in like uh, middle school. We went to Mount St. Helens, me and my friend Sean Collum, and his grandma was like, um, "You gotta hear some cologne. It's your birthday. Just put on a little bit, so the girls have to get close yeah, to you." So they can <laughs> sense it. Yeah, you know that that's, just a little bit, a little dab will do you, man. Right, right, right. But no, that that was actually a really hard part of it because my whole camp of everyone I was working with, like the final mix of the album, there was probably like seven. Like after I found out the final nine, I was right. I mixed those down seven times and I sent them off to everybody each time. It was like, "Is this it? Is this it?" Right. And like, you know, shout out to them because I'm very peculiar and like particular about my sound. So they bared with me through the whole process. But uh, eventually, eventually. name any names? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, there's Cruiser Cure, Cruiser Uramesh, you know, he knows who he is. He's doing his thing out there. Beautiful. I got, you know, I lavishly posted. I got the non-existent prophet. I got Julian Outlaw, you know, he, he peeped the album. And I got Romy Visions. That's like another, yeah. uh, like a bunch of people will help me out. Wonderful, um, wonderful. And I love you guys for it. Uh, but yeah, man, like after that, after the like seventh, the final time where I was like, no, 
this sounds good. I like I took everyone's final feedback and no like nobody was like this is the sound. Like cuz everybody wanted me to put my lyrics more like loud and everything and I was like I was like yeah, I'll do that for some songs, but some songs I'm not going to like I really took the time to to do more of the dynamic dynamics of the sound. Like I learned I watched this thing by uh what's his name? Paul Gibson. He's like grandson of whoever made the Gibson guitars. Okay. But there's this video he has on YouTube called The Art of Mixing. It's like two hours, but it's a really great video about um, just mixing in general. But it has this program called, uh, I don't know what they call the program, but it's a 3D imaging program where it allows you to, um, while they're playing the sounds for you, it shows you where the sounds are supposed to appear in between the left and right speakers. And it's a really- Word. Yeah, and it, it really helped me with like visualizing my- production um and then that was like a real big part of it is i wanted to create uh, mental images for people when they listened because um when i close my eyes i usually see like colors with my eyes closed and i'll see shapes with them and like i'll i'll like more recently Do you have synesthesia or is this kind i don't of- i don't believe so right, no right. like uh like ever since i was little i've been able to do this so i don't mm. know if it's actually synesthesia or right, anything right. like that but like when you know like let's uh, the way i equate it is to like let's say for some reason you're looking at a light or the sun for too long and you close your eyes and you see that residual <laughs> color right yeah so it's similar to that except i don't have to look at a like a source of light for it yeah and like i'll just close my eyes and i'll kind of just see them and then more recently i've been trying to use whatever colors i see and try to form them into like shapes and i've nice. found that it's easier to do that when i'm listening to music beautiful so with that i've been like what kind of music stimulates different kind of colors or like different kind of patterns and right after diving into like somatics and like a little bit of sound geometry, I learned that um, sine waves are usually great for like more truncated shapes, like uh, squares, rectangles, triangles, etc. Mm. Um, but using that, all that knowledge and then putting into the production, what I went and did was I overhauled all of my production and went back with all my new knowledge. Cause essentially each mix was like me learning something, going right. back and applying right. it and rinse and repeating right um so when i got to this final step i was like no this hits all the marks right i i was just like no i can't i literally listened until i i myself couldn't find anything wrong with it i was just like no i like this is all right great feeling i was just like this is all this is all i can't argue with myself about this so i guess there's a lot of musicality yeah i was like this is just there can i say that (laughs) as my voice cracks um one thing I love about hip-hop and about our, our little community here of people who do hip-hop is to me it feels as though there are so many different points of entry into how one would become a participant in hip-hop. Not even as an artist, but as a, as a supporter, or as a right. lover of the scene Part or of the, the culture. culture. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, um, and sometimes you get people who I think, uh, like for example... Oh, what a what a silly mainstream example, but like, okay, like Lil Yachty has come under fire in the past for basically saying, I don't, I can't name any Tupac songs or right. any Biggie songs. So it's like, well, you want to have a little bit more of an understanding of the history that you're you're resting on the foundation mm-hmm. of. Um, but in you general, for the most the part, names other of than the that, giants whose shoulders you're standing on, yeah. But other than, <laughs> other than that kind of thing, I think there's so many like valid ways to be like, oh, I came into hip hop through. Uh, I don't know stuff that I wouldn't care for like Macklemore necessarily or something like and then maybe you you deepen it and you get to Mac Miller and then you get to Outcast or whatever like yeah you just kind of follow that vein of sound yeah or you could be someone who liked Aerosmith and then Run DMC came mm-hmm. along and then that that you know and then you like Bomb Squad or Run the Jewels because mm-hmm. there's more rock energy or something like um, I really like hearing about how 
because hip hop as a genre obviously started um, where they they turned the playback device into an instrument mm-hmm. because that's what they had. That's what they had to mm-hmm. work with. And so they turned the turntable into the instrument and then they did two of them and then looped them up. And then the MC was just somebody hyping up the DJ. And then it evolved to where the MC is a spotlight and brings lyricism and flow and poeticism. And um, I'm a big, big fan of seeing how trying to go to like an artist's like set and listening deeply and being like, oh, it sounds like they were rocking some J. Cole like before you know yeah like, you can hear the you know? influences once you dive deep enough in the music mm-hmm. that's all and i like being wrong i check in with them later and be like oh you sounded like sounded like you've been listening to like uh i don't know like tiara whack and they'll be like who's that you know it's like, like oh, cool. oh like well you might like this artist yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly um tell me about nickel and dime because what i get out of it is um you know, at every step, every move in society, we're, we're necessarily trying to take care of ourselves and our, and our lives. And uh, the government's always finding ways to fucking yeah, pretty much at our resources. Yeah, yeah, man. That's like right on the money, man. Yeah. Like, I made that song right when the quarantine, like the first like COVID, like lockdown, everything shut down. Everyone went to go buy toilet paper, all that crazy, yeah. all that crazy stuff for the first uh, two weeks of the 24 hour news cycle. What a crazy uh, year this is. This is already for music releases. Like right? everybody's dropping what they made. Yeah. And, <laughs> like it feels good that there's, because we were in a drought for a bit on, you know, understandably so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that song came out and I was just like, what am I going to write about? Cause I just received this beat and it was, like honestly i'm more prone to rapping like if people listen to my my older stuff i rap quicker i rap faster and like it's more yell in your face like mm. i want to get people dancing and turning up whereas i just received this instrumental for nickel and dime and it was like completely opposite it was like i need to sit down think about what i'm really gonna say and like if people are gonna listen to me at this capacity what is it that i really want to do with this you know right. this energy and so I was just like, how do I feel? And this, the instrumental at the time felt like how I felt about the whole situation of quarantine and all that. So the lyrics were like, in quarantine, feeling like a war machine, um, dressed in all black to make a killing. Yes, I'm flourishing. And it's like, and that one just in itself is like me kind of like dressing all black because I was low key depressed about the whole situation. I had a bunch of plans set on, you know, set on side like everybody Shit, else. I'm yeah. sure, you know. Oof. And it's like feeling like a war machine. Like I, had a I movie wanted... I was gonna make. Yeah, see, like there was plans that <laughs> yeah. were put on hold. Yeah, I was like dressing all black to make a killing. Yes, I'm flourishing, and that one's more like the idea of also owning into how America's treating all of that. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, and then of course they get a little. I, I basically go. I try to find a nice balance between woe and uh belligerent um because i feel like i feel like that's a good balance that i can meet a lot of the people who would want to listen to my music potentially yeah um so the next verse is like uh is like feeling like a more machine bust on your chick rejuvenate a pores again i wish i whipped the foreign like it's fours a dam and that's actually a reference to when um i had actually gotten hit by a car that was probably like a, a, before i recorded that verse mm. i got I got hit um, while I was driving by a drunk driver. He T-boned me, and I was like driving a Beamer at the time. Oof. I was, and so the lyrics go. Did he I hit just, the driver's side or passenger no, side? No, passenger. Thankfully, so like I would have been dead otherwise. Wow. So it was like wow. um, the next verse was like that's so irresponsible. P- yeah, P- don't PSA. drink and drive. Don't that- drink and drive. It sucks. You can kill people, including yourself. <laughs> I feel like you have to be because obviously alcohol reduces inhibitions. It has to be such an obvious thing to you that you should never drink and drive because when you're drunk, you're gonna want to look for that excuse. Mm-hmm. And so anybody, anybody who's been affected by that, you know, my thoughts are with you. Like, reach out because that's that is a selfless, selfish, 
selfish thing to do. Yeah. So that, yeah. So after that, that was kind of where that the next lyric was like, I just crashed the beam. Fuck it, copped a new one, which was more wishful thinking at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, never I love lo- that. It's like, you know, never losing steam. Word to Frank Schumann, uh, who is the person who created the steam engine. Um, oh, sick. He's like, don't react to everything. Word to Isaac Newton, because he created the idea of everything has a reaction. Mm. Or oh, he didn't create it, but he discovered mm. it, air quotes. Mm. Uh, it's like, uh, and oh, then. New- but, okay, but. Go up. But uh, Newton's Newton's the gravity yeah. for the most part. But uh, oh yeah, and then Newton was off. Oh, yeah, of course. Sorry. Thermo- yeah, thermodynamic the, the, reactions. The three laws of no- motion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like one of them is like for every action there's a reaction. So right. I'm like, don't react to everything. Or to Isaac Newton. Yeah. And then I make a reference. I'm like, oh, there he go again on his nerdy shit. Right. Right. While Jose all around him like my name Copernicus because he I had was- one back in the day on my first mixtape where I said, uh, if you fuck with me, I don't react like a noble gas. Nice. Because <laughs> like argon and xenon and very non-reactive nice. gases in the nice. periodic table what's up boom backpack rap throwing Nerd it back. oh yes backpack yeah. rap absolutely huh that is. i feel like um one of the interesting things is like i kind of um came into my love of hip-hop without like the backpack rap kind mm-hmm. of like i kind of circumvented it through frankly like the the big influence for me to love rap was eminem mm-hmm. and then d12 and then from D12, I'm like, okay, they got, like, Eminem got his style from Nas. And so I never really was into, like, the, like, I don't know. I'm not dissing at all. I don't think it sounds like I am, hopefully. But, like, the kind of, like, early to mid-2000s where you had kind of, like, Lyrics Born and Lafa Taylor around here. Uh, and uh, I'm not trying to put Michael K in the past. But, like, even in our scene back here, it kind of feels like that was, like, the proto- um conscious uh, hip hop was like that mm-hmm. and like um like for example Mike Shinoda from Lincoln Park would basically say stuff like uh you know I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper kind of stuff like that like this is the hip hop that the hip hop heads love because there was a strong desire to contrast from crunk yeah from what was popular the crunk whole hyphy movement bling, yeah yep. It's like the uh, the ego driven stuff as opposed to like the id driven stuff, where it's like this is Mm. this is the underlying stuff that I want to show you, whereas the ego is like, no, this is the shit we have. I'm showing it right to you right now. Mm. Mm. And super ego, whatever that is. I don't know that one. That's why I didn't reference it. I I haven't read up enough on that one. (laughs) It's probably the one I'm ruled by now. You know what? (laughs) I've got to be honest with you. I feel very geeked and excited, like because we could talk a little bit about. I don't know if it's just like intellectualism or um, the just the ways that our society commodifies brands and um, and celebrates certain kinds of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think is a really interesting thing. I'm very lucky that I in uh, 2012 received uh, basically like uh, like hey educationally you're set for life. I was got a scholarship through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that's for, uh, they would take a thousand students of color every year. And I even felt like as a half Japanese person, I barely qualified in a way, you know, like I got in there and got the scholarship and <laughs> in, in certain fields, uh, the one that interests me most being education, they would fund, uh, well, they funded a college uh, four-year undergrad degree anywhere we wanted to go. And then you would have full funding for a master's and then a doctoral program as well. So right now I'm in a master's program um, online with, uh, southern oregon doing a leadership in higher education um 
master of science in education. And then one thing I'm really excited about, but I also feel very like, um, I always feel kind of conflicted or at least try to be reflective about this, even talking about it on the podcast and big upping myself, frankly, is to, to think about like, okay, so like there's a lot of these, I mean, like we could say colonial colonizing and colonial institutions. Like I'm looking into like, yeah, like if I can get a PhD from Harvard, uh, which maybe I could get in, hopefully we'll see, but I have like a range of schools that I'm interested in. Like, frankly, that's to credential myself. And then how do I distinguish and delineate to where I'm not just credentialing myself so that I can join an elite group of people that like to think they're better than other people and, and trot on other people and have opportunities that don't trickle down. Right. Or is there a way to say, Hey, um, go to those places and, and put a middle finger up in the air and say like, fuck you guys. But also I'm benefiting from this, you know, like, like, fuck you guys. Like, I think I'm better than you all because you're the like materialistic, you know, preppy, like Harvard people or whatever it may be. And I think I'm better because I'm like from the streets. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, and this is something where, you know, you can probably tell I, I am, um, I'm an overthinker. Um, but I think it's a lot better than being a non-thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I want to also just kind of say, because like I try to be conscious of the fact that like there's a ridiculous opportunity that's almost unheard of that I feel very lucky to have, but um, it sure as hell doesn't make me, uh, I want to say it doesn't make me more authoritative, although in some ways it does, it potentially can, can lend authority to my ability to speak on certain topics. But I, but I never want to think that it me, makes me um, the, you know, the the the, the definitive it centers form. me or makes yeah. me the definitive, yeah, the the and the the end all be all about anything because that's you got to have more humility than that. Epistemic humility is a term I really like. Nice. Epistemology being how do we know what we know, and then thinking just because you know I believe that I'm sitting here next to you, Benny Cosmic, and we're having this great conversation doesn't mean that that's what actually what's happening well, i yeah, have to it's know not, yeah like you know the, what is it the the baseline of your experience isn't the baseline for everyone else's yeah yeah yeah. real talk real yeah talk. and like even going back to the whole idea of um being in a position of like whether or not you should say middle finger to the what you're doing and even though you're benefiting from it is right i'm a firm believer and pay attention if you're listening because this is something you might want to know uh is that you should if you find yourself as a person of color who is not regularly in a field that you feel you worked hard to be in, mm. you should be better than everyone in that field so that you can be in charge and then choose to delineate said field into whatever direction you see fit. Right, right, right. <laughs> Just be better than them. Right. So good that they have to put you in charge. And you're like, actually, I do I do have the definitive knowledge and we're going to, this isn't working. I just did it this way so I can be in charge. and. I'm going to go this way now. Going back to being <laughs> informed and consuming information. And I love what you said. A lot of today and yesterday for me was spent watching these uh, Senate hearings, the Judiciary Committee with uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson, mm-hmm. the honorable judge uh, on one of the circuit courts of appeals who mm-hmm. has been nominated by Joe Biden to be the next Supreme Court justice replacing Justice Breyer. Mm-hmm. And truly, a lot of it today was... Um, these white male senators uh like trying to establish some kind of critique that like this black woman is going to be weak on crime 
you right. know, and yeah. because she's sympathetic to criminals. Because but the Biden administration, one of them, Tom Cotton, said he's waging a war on uh, criminal justice or some some bullshit like that. You know, mm-hmm. and um, and it's amazing how much. Uh, well, there's there's spectacle from it now too, and, and I try to be like a critical consumer of that. Like, okay, this is the stuff that's going to be the juiciest for the the profits of these um major media conglomerates like owned by like viacom and disney and i'm like not really into that as well mm-hmm. but um it sucks that that that's still such a because she's so intelligent and sh- and she has done every single thing needed and standing on the shoulders of giants to reach a point where she could be considered for the supreme court it's so laughable that they like literally like are like have you ever represented a terrorist before when you were, uh, you know, a public defender and just like pulling out every dumb thing that they can, any hail Mary they can yeah. at this point. Yeah. yeah. I Which mean, is like, it's just what you're saying is that you have to be excellent. Yeah. You have to, you know, you just have to like when you're in, uh, when the odds are stacked against you, you have to work twice as hard to beat the odds. That's, you know, the odds are going to try and beat you. So you have to beat them first. Then you could take the, how you want to take it. But for me, that means that, no, I understand that it's not fair, the system that I'm working in, but that also isn't going to stop me from becoming the best in that system. And then when I get to the point of where I'm at that system and I can change it, then I'm going to. And I mm. think that's where the disconnect happens because a lot of people who get in the position of making changes get disconnected because they have everything they asked for. You know, a lot of people get a seduced by whatever it is that, you know, they were working for and they get caught up in that world. Like, for instance, a good example, uh, uh, I mean, this is a one-off situation, but it happens more times than not. Is like, let's say you win the lottery. You know, you're a person. Yeah. You're a person who's like, oh, that that person who always helps folks out. You know, even when you don't have anything, you hit the lottery. Those are usually the first people that change their name, their number, and everything, and yeah. don't talk to nobody anymore. You know, yeah. And that's like a very baseline example. But how right. many examples do we have of people getting into positions of power and then forgetting about the people they made promises to? So it's Obama. Yeah, um, all of them, all of them. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. like I wish I, I wish I can. Pancho Villa. Yeah, you know, I yeah. wish I can single it out, but like, I, my I, understanding is Pancho Villa, and this is why. Okay, I don't need to pit them against each other, but Emiliano Zapata to me is a more appealing figure. But Pancho Villa fought, you know, against the Haciendados, the people that you know owned these giant ranches, and they were the they were the uh, aristocratic class mm-hmm. of Mexico. And he fought the working class revolution against them and was considered a really dynamic and exciting leader for justice. And then pretty much once he had kind of gotten, uh, you know, to elevated to that point and had done it long enough, he retired on a big hacienda himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's like um, the phrasing I like to use is um, people don't want to break the table. They just want a better seat at it. You know, right, that's right. all it is. They don't want to change the table. They, they don't want to make it wider. They don't want to make it more available for everyone. They just want a better seat. They want more portions on their plate. Right. And that's, uh, in my experience is, uh, I mean, it's, it's 90% true most of the time. And I think it just takes one person to show that like, Hey, I have millions of dollars, but guess what? I'm still living off 20K so I can pay off all this other stuff. Mm. And that's a big ask of anybody who may have achieved that, you know? Um, So it's, I don't know, it's like um, the sense of empathy and the sense of what I would do for myself and what I would hope somebody would have for me, regardless of any situation. You know, if I was the one who was given millions of dollars and then lost track, 
that right. I'd want somebody to be like, well, maybe he just doesn't have somebody in his corner saying, hey, you should probably go back and keep those promises. Because from what I've seen is like when people get rich, the people around them tend to just start caring about the money and not about the person. So right. I think that's another thing is just, um, I mean, that's the attachment to anything monetary or anything where you establish value outside of yourself. You tend to lose yourself into it because the value should come from what you bring and what you are. You um, better lose yourself in the moment. Yeah. You own it. You better never let it go. You only got one shot to not miss your chance to flow. <laughs> can, I, can, I, um, can I make a slight lateral turn? Yeah. And ask up? you just about... Um, you know, I, I understand from from my own singular experience what it's like to live here on the West Coast, where they interned Japanese people in World War II, and the le- the historical legacies of you know anti Japanese and just anti Asian racism uh, and violence. I understand those things, and I think that I. Um, you know, have a lot of advantages, uh, relatively speaking, to a lot of people, but also disadvantages to a lot of people in the Asian American community, which statistically uh, has uh, more more wealth per per capita than you know the white American community, for example. And it's a, it's a unique situation, but um, it's kind of like I could hardly imagine the the day to day microaggressions and um, things that come from being an indigenous person uh, living here in, uh, in Eugene Springfield. Um, And also um, being somebody who is uh, expressing yourself musically and artistically where there's a pretty limited number of people doing that um, Mm -hmm. who maybe um, can share in some of those um, understandings that you have. So, Mm -hmm. so what's that been like? Oh, I mean, it's whack <laughs> yeah to right. put it frank yeah <laughs> but like uh to elaborate for those who want me to be more eloquent i would say the i mean oh, my, you don't gotta be i anybody. know i feel it i feel it but you know i i just like to be and i should i should say it's for myself you, are, really. you have a lot of wisdom yeah. I, I really enjoy talking to you um thank you likewise um i've really my first experience with um first off i didn't know i didn't know it was brown or indigenous or different until i moved to eugene let me just say that because um san Bernardino, there's more there's They'll more brown feel people it out here yeah there's like literally i would for every like a thousand brown or black people there was one white person where i live so like coming out here it was the inverse of that so when i came out my first thing to one of my friends sean who like convinced me to move out he's like six foot black dude you know stalking you know stands out i was like sean everyone's staring at us right and then he was like yeah dude look they're all white people they don't know what we look like and i was like that's scary as fuck yeah and he was like yeah and i was like what should we do should i yell at them and he was like no they'll just call the cops and i was like should i just go beat them up because you know i'm like 18 or you know all i know is violence at this point And he's like, no, they'll just call the cops. And I was like, what the fuck? What if I need to call the cops? He's like, we don't call the cops out here. Mm. And it, that's not much different from where I grew up. But, you know, it's just, it was more well, evident as to why. It's like the cops are probably white. It was white, almost like infrastructure yeah. that you had in place back home mm-hmm. where people support one another. Mm-hmm. Here, you're on your own. Yeah, well, like, it was weirder. It, it, like, even, it was like that, but with the inverse where um, people are nosy here. People are very nosy. Like, that's all it is. They don't care about you. They're just nosy. They're not, they're not, they don't care about you. They're curious. They're just curious. They just want to know because they're nosy. So, like, I just 
tell people to mind their own business now like literally i'm like i i i'm i'm childish when i want to be and when it comes to people being nosy i'm childish because someone will come up to me in public no right you're like hey sir what are you doing there i'm like oh you know i'm just minding my own business right what are you doing and then they get all awkward i'm like oh it doesn't seem like you're minding yours have a great day I'm I'm very good at uh, yes uh, passive aggression with aggression heavy passive aggression. Mm. Um, so um, gotta be able to be a, yeah, le- a well, little I bit of confrontational. Myself. Yeah, like I have no yes. problem with that. Like yes. so that was the first instance, and the second instance was um like the first year I moved out here, 2015, ha- uh, Halloween. I went out, you know, party hopping, house party hopping, frat parties, everything. Long story short, I ended up at a frat party where I was with a bunch of my friends, female friends. They had brought me, and uh, I got kicked out for being the only dude. And I was like, this seems kind of weird, ladies. You want to go? And they were leaving. And as they were leaving with me, um, one of the guys started to fight with me. And then four of his, uh, you know, frat brothers proceeded to join in. And, like, I know how to protect myself. And all I could say is, I luckily, I had a weapon. I didn't use it, but I had it. I brandished it to be like, no, back up. You're not about to like beat me up. Like, mm. this isn't happening. Mm. Um, and like, if I hadn't, though, I probably would have been beat to a pulp, you know, because they're all big guys and probably would have got away with it. Um, right. And so that was the first year. That's year one living out here. And then year two, it was. Um, I decided, all right, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to talk to nobody. I'm just going to put my like nose to the grindstone and just work. But then I felt it in the corporate setting right. where it was like, all right, well, if I'm not, if I'm not filling it outside, I'm filling it at the office where it's like, I realize I'm getting worse jobs than other people. I realize that I'm getting all the stuff no one else wants to do. I realize yep. that I'm the first person to ask to do anything extra without any uh, offer of additional compensation, things of that regard. Crazy. Um, and wow. to me, it was more so, it was stuff I already knew to expect because I'm not dumb and I've grew up way too quick. So where I know that the world is what it is. Right. So for me, it was more so, um, it was more so like, uh, adding gunpowder onto a, you know, on, onto a powder keg. It's just adding more fuel to the fire. So then you get this, uh, concoction of like somebody who's, uh, angry at the world and doesn't really know how to do anything with this anger other than to turn it at music and or the world. And so then I started getting into, uh, um, you know, like organizing protests and stuff. Cause I thought yelling angrily was going to change it. It didn't. Um, ah. yeah, you know, it, it didn't because what I've also noticed is like, there's nothing wrong with collective protests, but if a bunch of people gather and say one thing, but there's no one person to go follow through on what the, um, uh, a thousand people support you to go follow through on, yeah, then you're, it's basically like a funnel, you know, like, um, the way I see protests, in, a po- in opposition to our federal government, as an example, is, and um, I'll use um, I'll use modern culture as a great example for sure. anyone watching. Is um, in the movie Three Hundred, when the Three Hundred warriors had to battle a million Persian soldiers, instead of fighting them all on one, they funneled them into one little thing and took them out one at a time. Wow. So what happens when we protest and have thousands of people, but we only send one person to go get our demands? They get destroyed by 50 other people who are wow. in Senate. It's just how That's it is. very, very accurate. How, how much different would it be if those 1,000 people all occupied Senate like, you know, the people who stormed the Capitol did? You know, like, 
but actually trying to push for something YouTube's beneficial. YouTube's gonna take this down. I, I know that's the problem. That's the problem. Is I know that you're not saying that. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm just like these are these are uh, methods that could be utilized by other people. I'm not in. I'm not calling to that. I'm just saying like it is disappointing, frankly, is, to see a lot a, of like a fundamental break in how mm, things are done. You mm. know. The fundamentals of how we have a checks and balances are broken because nepotism. I, like, if I want to boil it down, yeah. it's nepotism and favoritism, hands down. Well, I would say that the people who have the interests of stop the steal, the yeah. bullshit steal, and all that, that, and actually there's a lot we could say about this that I'm curious to talk about, especially mm -hmm. with you coming to our area in 2015. Yeah. Very interesting time. Um, I would say that a lot of how they were able to get their interests uh met was just through um having allied um powerful oligarchs essentially mm -hmm. like who who are contributing uh campaign cash and and lobbying efforts towards getting so many of the things that they wanted done done and then when they didn't get their way on uh you know this belligerent buffoon getting mm -hmm. reelected uh, they've had a they had a, a tantrum. Mm -hmm. You know, they no, had a that, tantrum. That's exactly what it is. And mm -hmm. even to this day, I still have the footage of the live news campaign because you can't find it anywhere on YouTube. Mm. Uh, that's yeah. so like I still have footage of that when it was on the news and they were like it was happening live and everyone was freaking out because no of one knows what? of the storming of the Capitol. Oh right, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like uh, January sixth. Yeah, uh, yeah, that whole incident. Well, I want to ask you about because I. You know, I grew up here. I moved here in 1995. Moved away. Uh, feel free to spark that up. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I like to do it later in the episode so people um, have already like they don't. If we're already smoking at the beginning, it, like, it, oh, these, it, guys, <laughs> these guys are stoners. It discredits yeah, exactly. their work. Exactly. Well, let me let you know that this doesn't. Uh, yeah, there's so mm -hmm. much wonderful stuff about weed. I, I'm, dude. If I could ever get sponsored or something, that'd be amazing. By by, and I actually probably could if I actually really tried. But uh, I don't put out the show consistently enough. But um, 2015 was an interesting time. There was a certain uh, presidential candidate who came from entrenched power and tried to act like he was a populist and with the people. And um, it was also the same year that To Pimp a Butterfly came out. Mm -hmm. And All Right was a big, big anthem with um, pro, uh, Trayvon Martin uh, mm -hmm. protests and Tamir Rice and I think Eric Garner, uh, Sandra, Sandra Bland. And um, so basically, I feel as though 2015 um, and 2020 uh, were both, and 2016, like there were times here where basically what I'm saying is um, a lot of white people woke up to uh, the, the, to racism, is particularly anti-black racism. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, uh, you got a lot of people like who could no longer like, fully sweep it under the rug there's still efforts to sweep it under the rug and deny and dismiss and discredit but certainly being like okay we live in a world we have to contend that this exists um people call it the original sin of our country sometimes which i think is a historically maybe not the most accurate nah. when you look at what happened with the we got we got genocide yeah, yeah. there's murder exactly there, yeah. so i think that's interesting um but um and then you and then just kind of having this collective like um the quickest way to get to it is just to say performative wokeness, but mm -hmm. to say that 
you know, you can't deny that there's something here to be done. And so now what are you going to do? What are you going to share on Instagram? Mm-hmm. What are you going to, um, you know, tell your cousin at Thanksgiving? But what is that your makes virtue you a virtuous signal? person? Yeah, exactly. what, is, what virtue signal are you emitting? Yeah. And, to, and to think like, I think that there was, um, there was really interesting, some, some, some cool shit about Eugene that had the seeds of that. But, pro, but prior to, to how that like really exploded, as it's like a, the feeling of a social obligation, um, I almost wish you could have been been here before before that because it really has been such a such a big part of it. And I think of the the summer of 2020, where um, frankly uh, a lot of um, Antifa folks who uh, you know are largely white mm. uh, really center really. Uh, Ended up a lot push, pushing themselves into being some of the loudest people in Portland and in uh, Eugene and throughout Oregon. To where I can think of several people who were the who and the Wall of Moms, which was largely white, like who were able to really get some great publicity shots of themselves being on the quote unquote front lines of justice. Yeah, but uh, I but can what hardly came think of, of it. You know, I can I can't I can hardly think of any um, black activists who were um, who basically were able to use their um, experience uh, and their articulation of their experience in order to um, affect change who weren't ripped to shreds. Exactly. I was about to say, because like, at any point, they would have just been taken down, or if they were like a big celebrity, they would have gotten their endorsements taken. Let's just right. look at the obvious one, Colin Kaepernick, or Kaepernick, oh however you pronounce his name. Yeah. But like, well, that is... Well, maybe Seattle Seahawks will give him a chance, but Maybe, we'll you know, like, but after like three or four years, it's been, you know, so I think about that a lot. And just to kind of recall, um, just to kind of recall back to... um what you were saying about a lot of people being woken up to like anti-blackness and racism. That's part of the lyrics for nickel and dime is, uh, you're late to the party, but at least you arrived. Cause we lost a lot of soldiers gone ahead of their time all because of government nickel and dime. Yeah. You know? And that's just like, that's kind of the idea is that, yeah. I, like the idea is that I don't care when you figure it out, mm. but when you figure it out, do something about it. Like right, right, me right, right, as right. an individual, what I decided to do is I give a voice to whoever wants to have a voice on the radio, you yeah. know, and yeah. if I need to punch a Nazi in the face, I'll punch a Nazi in the face, <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, I got these scars for a reason. Mm, so like, mm. there's like, there's a, there's just, there's a level of, um, integrity I hold myself to that I expect from other people. And I know they say it's not wise to expect yourself from other people, but I say, fuck that because I'm good to people. And right, if I'm right, good right. to you all the time, then I expect good. And if you're not good to me, then we're going to have to figure it out because there's going to be a compromise. There's going to be a compromise one way or another. That's a big wisdom nugget. <laughs> you know, if like, I had a team and I was doing clips on YouTube, that would be clipped. It's like, that that is shit like, would be clipped there's in. Like, there's no compromise there. So it's like, if you're going to do something, be full ass. Don't half-ass shit. If you're gonna be about it, be about it. Bring both cheeks to the ass. Yeah, man. Come on. If like if you know, I can't. Tr- you can turn the other cheek, but that other one's gonna be right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you only get two. That's like two warnings. <laughs> you know, that's all I'm saying. Absolutely. Um, but to tie back into that is. Uh, yeah, and then I want to hear about your influences. My influences. Yep. Uh, okay. Well, just to tie up this thought before we dive into that is um, just the uh. This, the we were talking about virtue signaling and everybody wanting to be that. Let's even tie that even further into the corporate aspect of it. Where sure, you, how many businesses you see Black Lives Matters in the window? 
First off, because they didn't want their window shattered. Secondly, because they want to make more money after the fact, you know? But then in Springfield, you might get your window shattered for having yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, that's another just divisive thing. I'm not hating on Springfield, but I'm hating on racism that, yeah. that Springfield has allowed and itself it has to be a lot out of for. Pockets. Yeah, it has a lot of pockets Ooh. of racism. <laughs> like, even coming out here, I was like, oh, boy. Uh, but, uh... No, what I wanted to finish with was, um, is that all of these things aren't, um, like, you know, whoever may be listening to this is, uh, all of these things are issues. Yes, they're ever present, but only because, you know, people give up. That's all it is. Wow. People give up or people die. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if people have been paying attention. Or I just think they allow themselves to be compromised so yeah, much that you know, that's effectively like, giving up. There's got to be a compromise, but it can't be the people anymore. That's the thing. Is like people have been compromising for so long. The system yeah. has to change, and everyone knows that. It's just like it just takes one person who has the gall to be like, "I'm gonna be this person to do this." But then it's like. The same person who wants to be that person shouldn't be that person because of hubris. Exactly. And, like hubris always kills the movement. So the idea is like, um, and, that, and I'm gonna end with this on this topic is that, right. um, I feel like we're being conditioned to believe that or socially engineered through media where it's like, you know, the whole idea of revolution has to be one person who's leading the revolution. Mm. When really most revolutions are ran by pockets of mothers uh, who were tired of their kids being exploited or wow. or fathers tired of their wives being sold into slavery for whatever, you know? Like in different regions, there's always been the same story of like, no, it was the people organizing without depending on the centralized government. Mm. And that's always what it is. That's always what it's going to be until we stop like caring about stuff outside of ourselves um there's a artist yeah. that i really want to get on the pod but he he's a, he's big and he's a, a canadian rapper named shad and um he is going to be playing in portland in a few months so i'd love to um go to that show but i really How do you spell it s-h-a-d i really recommend his his album tao t-a-o it's really good um out of touch is the first song and it, and it basically is about how um society has been growing more and more out of touch with um our roots with our connections to one another believing we can satiate our own selves and our needs just through our own like consumption mm-hmm. um and being out of touch with one another but there's and there's another song on it called black averageness that i love and it's basically just like i love black excellence it's excellent but why but can't we just be average exactly yeah. and it's so good in the video he's like shooting hoops and missing and and um so i really want to get him on the pot he's got a line where he says something very similar to what you said and it basically is part of his eloquent eloquent verse but i'll just choose the part where he says only those who don't believe in power have the power that can lead to peace. Mm-hmm. Only the people who are not trying to do it to stack. Again, and I know that I have this in me as somebody who I grew up with a chip on my shoulder a little bit, or I came to have one more because um, Japanese culture is very polite in public. Japanese culture is also kind of two-faced. Let's be real. There's a, there's a, they know it. There's a public face, and then there's the household and private, and you're very very critical of your neighbor across the dinner table, the mm-hmm. kotatsu the dinner table across the newspaper. But then when they come and deliver you a nice um, pie, you know, you're, polite. you're, you're cordial. Most, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I kind of like realized the limitations of, of being so kind in such a, in such a perceived and public and upfront way, because it does lead people. And sometimes probably out of like the sneaky Asian stereotype it leads people to, to think that there's something underlying and belying that mm-hmm. supposed kindness and um I, but i kind of um 
I don't remember exactly where I'm going with with it on this, but but basically just like realizing over time that um, I actually think that I, that I worried people when I became more direct too. People were like, "What's going on? This isn't the Thomas we know." And it's, it's like, like, "Well, I, you changed. Yeah, it's up. Yeah, we can't take advantage of you anymore. What's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> well, like there there were many times when uh, so I was diagnosed with, as bipolar. I don't know if I really fully accept it but they were certainly a manic period in my life that i understand you know like okay a lot of things contributed to that and let's like dial those things back um biggest one being stress Mm -hmm. but um you know as kanye has publicly gone through uh and shot himself in the foot in a lot of ways but also publicly expressed his frustrations with how society uh reacts to mental health um there were many times when i when i felt a, a kinship with what he's going to through um, but it's just at this point it's gotten like uh, it, he needs to be put in timeout. <laughs> I mean, it's time away. You know exactly. Time away but, and, uh, and treated. But but truly, like that was the kind of guy that I was like, oh wait a minute, like a lot of how he got to where he got was was by getting on the table and rapping. And mm-hmm. I was like, maybe I can try to do that too. And so I'm really trying to push to. Um, so there there it is. Okay, talking about the people only those who don't believe in power are the ones who uh, have the power that can lead to peace. Uh, I know that I, I I want what's best for people beyond me, but I also have been very inculcated in a culture um, of needing to put myself first and seek certain elements of stability that stability is like the baseline way to put it, but like, also, just like kind of like um, being well off, and, and I, I'm very uncomfortable with that. I've always felt way more kinship with um, people at drum circles downtown, mm-hmm. and people um, who you know go to the open mic night for a free show, and you know can't afford a beer. Like I've I've, I've always felt a stronger kinship to those people than I have to the people that I've known through like school and and. Uh, and people who have an inflated sense of their own importance. You know, one thing I really believe and I think is beautiful is that, you know, uh, and this is just a very human-centric thing way of thinking of it, you know, we each have the exact same size slice of the importance of humanity. There's like 7 billion plus of them, mm-hmm. and each, and you have one, and I have one, and they're the exact same size. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's beautiful. So, I don't know. Let's talk about your influences. Um, <laughs> hmm. I guess, uh, musically, music influences, I would say just, I mean, for this album, primarily, I would say old school outcasts, like Dungeon Family type stuff. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, I was listening to a lot of that. Those and then the dudes who were all like in the basement, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's like uh CeeLo green, uh big boy, Andre three oh K all them, you know, that Killer whole Mike? outfit. Um, and, but that was before like CeeLo green has the, an album called the soul machine. I love that album. Nice. Yeah. Evening news is an amazing Ooh, song. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. We'll, we'll bump it after this. Hell yeah. Um, and so I was listening to them and then I was also listening to a lot of, uh, synth wave, a lot of, uh, like synth wave live stuff, but nice. some notable artists that really caught my ear were, um, Turbo Knight, 
Um, they all have really weird, like mechanical cool. sounding names. Cause you know, it kind of goes with the vibe, but there's right. like glitch 97. Um, <laughs> and then there's like retro cowboy and like they may create music, but, um, nice. um, and then of course, lo-fi, like a lot of the, uh, a lot of a majority of the album ends up, uh, matriculating into a, a combination of boom bap and lo-fi. Those are like the two, uh, those are like the two energies I was trying to get intermittently yeah. but um, there's a lot of great compatibility between those yeah right there's uh, i was listening to a lot of mashups and that kind of gave me the idea so from there the other influences as far as like lyrically yeah. i get a lot of um a, a lot of my lyricism i emulate i try to emulate anyway i should say um immortal technique he's like my favorite artist like i met wow. him and his I whole to see outfit him at the wow hall uh, dude i met him in his whole outfit in pomona they signed my hat like him, fucking Chino XL, Poison Pen, Southpaw, dude, all of them signed my hat and they gave, they shook oh, my hand no and everything. Way, dude. Yeah, dude, I was like eighteen. I waited for like two hours. It was so dope. How many rappers are out there starting schools? <laughs> I'll give a little respect to Chance the rapper yeah. when he was at his biggest. He worked a lot to try to. Uh, he donated towards Chicago Public Schools. He was meeting with principals to try to advocate for students' interests, but immortal technique actually starting schools mm -hmm. in the middle east and then yeah. even in um i think um either ecuador or um somewhere in south america dang i gotta look that up but this yeah wow that's what i'm saying he's he is the truth like immortal yeah. techniques the truth and that's why i try to emulate yeah. his lyricism because he's just barred up always tells a great story always. and like everything you listen to you you hear it what he's saying and you there's like he leaves room for interpretation as far as like the mental image, yep. but the message there's no there's no miscommunication, which wow. is great because I'm I'm a firm believer in this phrasing of um if you leave room for interpretation you leave room for misinterpretation, so oh. that's why you have to say what you mean when you're really trying to communicate with someone, um because nuance is what leads to chaos and chaos is fine in a setting where you know you're trying to start something new or come up with something new but it's not in a setting where you already have a rules of checks and balances in place okay, okay. you know so like yeah. that's how i approach life i guess nice <laughs> yeah i respect it i respect it um chaos is such a omnipresent um component of our society nowadays it seems like uh I, th our, I think it's, it's i think it's a little, force for capitalism it's a chaotic thing for me to think about um, buying uh, non-existent digital real estate next to Snoop Dogg. To me, that 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 feels very disruptive to some of I'll the. I'll sell it to you. I'm a realtor. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, but I'm th I'm talking estate. about like metaverse. NFT. Oh right. Yeah. There's like there's like um, different sandbox like metaverses out there, and somebody paid a bunch of money in order to to be Snoop Dogg's neighbor in one of them, and I just think that's such a fascinating, and um, yeah, chaotic, just like. Uh, I don't know, but but it also is indicative of the fact that like, damn, there's so many people out here that can't even make it in the in this world, mm -hmm. and homeboys are out here like investing in their own the whole lives <laughs> into the digital world. As it, yeah. it's baffling to me, and it's um or Martin Shkreli buying that Wu Tang album back in the day. I'm just like, damn, dude, we are not the same. Yeah, meaning you're a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I I make that joke all the time. Where it's like, if that's why I don't have the money, like of a billionaire because i would use it for the right reasons like i i was uh i was making the joke 
I always make the joke at like work. I practice on my stand up at work, um, but uh, I make the joke. That's I'm badass. Like, I kind of forgot that you were a stand up guy from time to time. I, I mean, I you know I stand up for people, but I'm also funny sometimes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no man. Uh, I just practice my material just because like they don't know I'm. You know, I don't tell them I'm a comedian or anything. I like to be funny. I'm. Mean, I just and I just drop the jokes and if they work, they work. If not, I put keep it pushing. Um, but I make the joke because like yeah, man, if I was a billionaire, I'll I'll just like run for president win because i'm a billionaire and then i would just be like hey i want to go do this i'm going to rearrange all of the infrastructure so it's all energy renewal and they're like how are you gonna do it you need to get the money i'm like no i already paid for it it's already i don't need you don't need to vote on anything it's not all of my pocket mm. and, you know because at that point that's that's really what you could do if you wanted to do it um and i know people think oh that's naive or whatever but ah, what are you gonna you can't spend all that money you can't yeah. spend all that money before you die, and no. it's gonna be given to your your and your fucking descendants, I guess. But like, yeah. they're probably worse than you because they didn't have to work for it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's something to be said about fucking uh, entitled uh, Eric Trumps of the world. Like, that's the first time I said yeah. that guy's last name on the show on the show Trumps. today. Yeah. But uh, I have to call that dude out. Fascinating too. You know, that is an individual. That son who uh was at like a fast food place mm -hmm. and um somebody pretended who that they were a fan and got a selfie with this guy eric right mm -hmm. and you could see in the selfie that he had taken it might have been in and out i think he had the plastic translucent water cup that you're supposed to get self-serve water and instead he put lemonade in it what a fascinating like idea about entitlement like you're you got a fucking You're in a billionaire cup. family with like an international and you, business. And you can't get a soda. You, you can't, can't pay, pay for your soda. You can't pay this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's it's just that level right there, wow. you know? But um, yeah, dude. Um, I, I, I like the idea of making it a little succinct. We've been on for about an hour and 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but do you feel as though there's any um, things that are essential to your character or ideas and um, and things you want people to chew on that we haven't been able to? address just yet hmm yeah um said so essential to my character yeah things people can chew on that we yeah. have yet to address i said what i said god damn it and he meant it um <laughs> i would say that everything you're looking for is within you and the more you keep looking for it outside the more pain you're gonna bring yourself make it a point to know as much as you can because the more you know, the easier life gets. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't mean it's easy. It just means it gets easier. You know, it's less hard. And I would say that if you're looking for a sense of truth and you don't know what to believe in, you should probably just start from yourself. Believe in yourself, and then everything else will kind of follow through. It'll make sense eventually. And if it doesn't, we'll get another shot. I believe in reincarnation, PSA. Nice, reincarnation, <laughs> cool. <Yeah. laughs> well, seeking a sense of truth and and feeling, uh, I feel like having robust knowledge and feeling like you know what's going on in the world, it does, it does feel grounding. And, um, you know, there much has been said about essentially a rise in authoritarianism around the world. Mm -hmm. And authoritarianism is very, very um, co compatible with 
uh, mass ignorance and the desire to have somebody, first of all, scapegoating usually like uh, people who have been historically marginalized mm-hmm. and oppressed for and, one thing, but also just like tell me what's going on. This. Tell me why yeah. my life isn't the way that I that I believed it would be. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've told me now, and I, and now I'm I'm gonna listen to you. Like when you tell you you talked about like um you know knowledge. I was like kind of thinking about QAnon and just like people want to uh, feel like they have you know this knowledge that of, of something that has been kept from them because damn near everybody in uh, in late capitalism in America today uh, accepts that like we we had been sold something that was a little bit fluffier than the reality by our government Mm -hmm. and that there's rampant corruption. Like, like if only there was a way to unite, I would say in general, like working class interests, um, and, and, and just interests of people who, who are disempowered, um, under a common, a set of uh, ideals and actionable goals. I think that would be a beautiful thing because this is a time that's ripe for it because nobody is really content with the current status quo. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We just, we have octogenarians running the country. Nancy Pelosi's like 81, 82, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Joe Biden, Donald. They're at least know. an average of like 60. Oh, well over yeah, 70. Yeah. Well, all those people, the like, average is over average 70. Average age, yeah. yeah. And, that's, and that's the thing uh, is uh, you know, I would love to hear and find out that I have listeners in that age group uh, here with the show. I think that would be a beautiful thing. But in general, we re- we under- we regard, whether fair or not, that group of people as being like unemployable. Like mm-hmm. We wouldn't give them – we wouldn't pay them like $15 an hour to work at McDonald's because the idea is that they're past their prime. They're inefficient. They're not that really- was the re- Yeah, the retirement age for them would have been like 20 years ago. And then they – climate change, frankly, is not going to affect them at all. So – uh, or at least the brunt of it. So why is it that they exclusively – the people making large-scale – decisions about what's going on with our country that's an interesting thing and uh and uh i hope that we but the other thing is too is like when it comes to representation and um like okay like i'll i'll cite pete Buttigieg. i'm a, obviously you can tell i'm a political animal i really i really follow this stuff it's like my sports <laughs> no i'm i'm enthralled Continue, right right yeah. right right he 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 basically his kind of thing is like you look into him and he's like okay he's very much aligned with a lot of the same um, financial interests of uh, that have really run things and Wall Street and I don't think he would be much of a watchdog for those powerful interests mm-hmm. but his thing is like I'm young and I'm gay you know I'm part of the LGBTQ plus community mm-hmm. and so that should be enough right you know <laughs> and it's like, like making it palatable like like I want people who are just so authentic that it just drips off of them, mm-hmm. and uh, and not just like saying like, like they don't have to sell me on who they are. I already know right, who they are, right. and I'm I'm willing to buy it. Yeah, it's not it's, <laughs> like, not it's not vote for me because I'm a millennial and therefore I represent your interests. He's like, like I, I want to vote for me because of, I've already done all these things to help these people. You right, know, I like exactly. I'm actually doing my job. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like let's base it off of actual track record. How many things did you get past and what are your turnover rates? And, and that's that, um, like I believe in ambition to some level, but, uh, but it's, uh, the pure raw sheer unadulterated constant search for power and prestige that, that is embodied in somebody like him. You know, he speaks seven languages and I don't think that's bad. Obviously he motivated himself to really learn, but like, and then, uh, you know, 
just everything he did, like going off into the military and then working for this investment bank, uh, investment firm or a uh, big uh, financial firm in order to, to, uh, you know, uh, enrich his life. And then, and then going back to the small town where he, where he grew up and then becoming mayor and like just all of it is very, to me, um, it's the example of, and I watched the documentary about him in particular, like he, very robotic towards his partner his husband chastin like there's this one part where like the campaign trail was really brutal and so they're at a diner and chastin is like he's like and i'll, oh, I'll even down put this. he's like he's like exactly his head is down he's, he's exhausted and then pete just walks up like with some with the sandwich or whatever and just sits there just starts eating it like not caring at all that damn that like his partner's like he'll he and then he like put his hand on his partner's hand for like a little bit it's like, like to offer good. a little bit of cons- yeah, consolation but, yeah but it's like I don't know. It, it reminds me of that Shad album again. Just like we're so out of touch with one another. We're, we've so, I feel like it's strongly incentivized to um, erect more distance between one, between, I don't have any strong examples, but like to, there's just more money in building walls than there is in, in uh, interest in, there's not much reward for tearing down boundaries. You know, there's a lot more, financial uh reward for putting them up i don't know well it's easier to control one person at a time yeah you know if they're all isolated it's easier to control people yeah exactly yeah i I love stuff that makes the the real uh elite oligarchs of this country and world nervous i love stuff that real that makes them nervous and that that challenges what uh whether or not they're going to be able to because it's not just about continuing them continuing to be well off it's about a never-ending desire to to dominate more and i'm not talking about individuals but like i think that collectively like we we have affirmed the society and been and been okay enough with the society that just says that that's an ideal that that is an ideal is to just like constantly look up for like you know i've got this tv i love this tv but if my neighbor had a bigger one I would want a bigger one because I live in America, and you know, I get what or because, you're saying, yeah. you know, you know what I mean. And uh, it's weird because social this TV should be the shit. You know, I love this TV. So, um, and so as I get to the end of each episode, I'm trying to. Um, it's called Broken Class, and um, and so let's talk about basically uh, something in society that you believe. And then there could be any, there could be a lot of things, but something in society that you feel is broken. And then, uh, and then what we can really do to try to try to get to where we can fix it. When I was, some people think, you know, it's not, the system isn't broken. It's working exactly as it's designed. So maybe, maybe, I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, but that doesn't mean we can't like change it. I mean, uh, the way I say it, a tool is how you use it. It's, I mean, I, a knife could kill somebody, but it can also make a meal, you know? So like, uh, the thing that I did when I was uh, 16 is I was part of this thing called the 21st lunch, uh, 21st century learner consortium, um, in Southern California, where they had me go around and interview a group of, uh, four different kids of every age group from nine to 12th grade, um, for all the schools in my district. And it was like eight schools. So I ended up doing 32 interviews of these schools. Uh, kids and asking them the same four questions um what it was they uh what it was they enjoyed about school how do they how they learn things best um how they feel about tests and what they wanted to learn about in school um and all of them had crazy awesome answers and it was probably like two hours worth of footage i had to condense it down to 15 minutes 
That's hard. Yeah, well, they didn't. Yeah, they had me do all that for no reason because uh, essentially what it came down to was we did this panel of all the kids that they liked the responses of the most um, and got them there to answer questions for uh, superintendents and people who are evaluating the school for the state. Wow. Uh, and so all of these yes men, essentially the children were, you know, put to be yes men. Like I like my school, my school is the best kind of like scripting. Wow, they yeah. took advantage of these kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and me being the person I am, I've like, I did it because I got to get out of school. I was always like, I did all the school stuff so that I would be the one you would least expect to do the bad stuff. That was right. essentially my MO in high school. So mm. like I was planning all the events and I was also planning all the, you know, after parties like that was word, me. Word. so like uh i was doing this uh and eventually they got to me i was the last person that they would ask they essentially went across the dais and asked everybody their own line of questioning um and the whole idea of this consortium was to introduce common core learning standards as opposed to star uh testing that they had been doing prior gotcha um so common core for those unfamiliar is and this is in practice, it doesn't actually work, it's just in mm. theory, um, is the idea of Common Core was to implement a way of, a line of questioning that made the children show their work, not only in uh, like math problems where you had to write out your formulas in arithmetic, but also in um, literature, literature, but um, in science as well, where you would have to mm. fully explain everything. Like basically, every question was open ended, mm. but there was a set criteria of where they their verbiage had to be essentially. Mm. Um, so that's just a rigged system. You're basically teaching kids what to say. Um, you right. know, outside looking in of what I know now as an individual, but at that time as a 16 year old kid who was just videotaping this stuff for the adults, um, they got to me and I had started realizing that this was all bullshit. And so I was kind of mad because I had just spent like a lot of my time uh, as just me as a person putting all this work into something I thought mattered and then all these adults just pretty much shit on it and they didn't like, they shit on it like they thought an adult made it and then they found out I made it and they were all nice to me after the event right wow so i give you all this preface and context to say this in response because this is the same answer that i had given them Beautiful. is uh they asked me uh mr my real name uh what is it that you think is wrong with the education system and i just looked at them and i said oh can i be honest and they were like, we'd love for you to be. And I was like, okay. And then all my teachers looked at me like, don't say any cuss words. And I was yeah. like, so I was like, all right, I'll be smart about this. And my answer is that we need, you know, at the end of the day, if we take everything away, you know, let's say the world ends tomorrow and all we have is teachers that teach us stuff. The problem is that there's too many people and not enough teachers. And the reason that there's not enough teachers is because they don't get paid enough. And the reason they don't get paid enough is because we don't prioritize education. And the reason we don't prioritize education is because we don't have smart enough people to make that decision because we don't prioritize education. Yeah, so, <laughs> that was a big feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. So uh, they understood where I was going with this. And then my answer was this. And is then that, you talked about isolation making people easy to control. Well, a lack of education makes them incredibly yeah, easy to control. Exactly. 
exactly exactly so then my follow-up to that was i was like so my solution is we can um and i have a couple different answers to this where i feel a more effective means of uh learning or teaching children is by matching them up by personality types cool um so you know how you can do like rather uh, than like the strict age grades well no so uh, like we'd still keep them the same age range Mm -hmm. you know that way they're around kids of their age group not to age them up too quick um and but uh and have them actually enjoy their age range where they're at um but we would have each kid take like a personality test before getting assigned a teacher and then have the teachers take personality tests like i infj those kind of you know tests right like tony robinson does a lot of that kind of stuff too um but have something similar to that regard where we can match them up and what we would do is we would have like Every day you'd have a have them work with the teacher of different personality types so that they get uh, used to dealing with different personality types and solving the same kind of problems so mm-hmm. that you get them used to solving problems under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you're also learn, teaching them how to deal with different people because let's say you're going to learn most from the teacher you get along with because that's just they if they learn the way you learn or they they understand how you act work because that's just how they are their personality you guys are going to click you're going to learn more and then you're going to have probably have your most opposition against you know a teacher who you cl- you know clash with like ideologically or just like personality wise you just clash uh, cuz people do that so what i would say is we can counteract where like you would have a student who is really good at math with a teacher that they clash with because then it would balance itself out where even if they clash with that personality, they'd still be able to do that work. But all of this would be prefaced with this is what we're doing. Like I think part of the reason that education doesn't work is because we don't explain to kids why they're learning what they're learning. The biggest question, <laughs> the biggest so, question in any in classroom, math. exactly. The biggest question in any classroom is how is this going to matter to us? Why are we learning this? And no teacher has the answer other than regurgitated facts i was talking to just joey my homie like in 2019 on the podcast and we basically talked about math education and like like oh like why should you learn this well it's because it's on the unit test maybe a better answer would be why should you learn this probably because it's the fundamental language of the world across (laughs) cultures and languages and and, uh, it explains uh, basically at the root of like physics and chemistry and Mm -hmm. biology everything that's going on and so you might want to have a little bit of dexterity with that Mm -hmm. and not just well the state wants you to have algebra two to get this like to get into school you know (laughs) you know um it is really something. You know, there's a lot of thought that's gone into your idea about um, matching kids with like the personalities of their peers and with teachers and, and playing with that um, kinship and also with that friction that can come mm-hmm. from difference. There's a lot of good ideas there. And uh, I think of American schools and American public school districts often as graveyards of good ideas, yeah. truly. And I think that's frustrating. You know, one thing about our Eugene School District 4J here, how much do you know about it? Do you pay I much know, attention? I know. Um, I'm a graduate of it. That they have like a higher rate of uh, dropouts than a lot of parts of the country. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and in Oregon, too, like for many, many years, uh, we were like 49th, 48th in, in uh, graduation rate in four years. Like there are a lot of rural school districts that are really struggling and not, not being re- resourced well enough. Um, the Student Success Act is hopefully the implementation of that continues to like ameliorate some of those issues. But But I'll tell you this much, dude. One of the things that structurally I think is concerning, right, is like – Okay, there's if you have a legislative body, which is essentially what the Eugene School District Board of Directors is, a school board, 
It's seven people. It's a legislative body, essentially. They create policy, create and enact policy on behalf of all the schools that they serve. Um, most r- legislative bodies, people send a representative who is similar to them and similar to their interests. So, for example, for all of their flaws, the Eugene City Council, the city is divided into eight wards. One of them is Whitaker and River Roadish a little bit. One of them is Cal Young, so it's the most conservative one typically. Mm -hmm. One of them is like the South Eugene, South Hills, so it's like um, progressive but kind of like rich people. Um, Bethel has their own like um, industrial and like more, you know, and more uh, low income interests. And so there's, so basically each ward will elect a person who lives in that ward who represents what that ward and that community of town wants. They come together as eight people from those eight wards. They hash it out and try to enact policy. So that's, that's ostensibly how Congress works. Gerrymandering is a, is a big issue, but basically like, okay, people from Willamette Valley, Oregon, they're going to send, their Peter DeFazio, the state of Oregon is going to send their Ron Wyden and their Jeff Merkley. And here's one of the things that makes it, I think hard to make create fundamental change on the school board here in Eugene. Um, there's a lot of issues for one there. There's an Oregon state law that says they can't be compensated for their work. So you only are going to get people who are financially very well established, uh, well established. That's already the case. Cause it's hard to run a campaign when you don't have any money, you know, mm-hmm. but the point I'm really getting to is that, each member of the Eugene school board is elected citywide. So they have every two years, they're like, okay, position one, two, and seven are open. And doesn't matter where you live in the city, which is a big, wide, somewhat diverse city in many ways, you have to be elected by the whole city. That is always going to lead to the most the people who can't, who don't rock the boat, you know, mm-hmm. because the once you do the whole city's voting population, the city's voting population is much more conservative, obviously, mm. than the city's general population. I don't think it's that hard to understand that. It's like people who are, um, they can get the time off work to, well, and we've got vote by mail and blah, blah, blah. But like the people who are mo- who are most likely to vote are people who have more structural power and more to lose within the system because they have more wealth, you know, and more, uh, they're typically older and they're typically like parents. And, um, and so that's just one of those things. So I like, okay, for example, I'm a, in general, I'm a fan of, of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, and Rashida Tlaib and other progressive Congress people that are out there. Uh, but they largely couldn't be senators because when you're the Senator, you have to represent your whole state. So Tlaib would have to get elected by all of Michigan, uh, Cortez would have to get elected by all of the state of New York. And so um, basically just like at least they're able to have a voice because of the fact that like their community elected them. We don't really have that in our school board. You have to be essentially approved by the whole town, which mm-hmm. kind of means by the the people who hold power. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that's just one little thing. <laughs> yeah, I took over on that soapbox. I really did. No, it's okay. Mm-hmm. There's room on it. It's, a, <laughs> it's not even a box. It's like a soap stage. It's like the door at the end of uh, Titanic that uh, Jack <laughs> everyone, Dawson and... Everyone could be on it. They could There's room. <laughs> we could fit like two other people. We're not going to die in no, this ice No, she just water. died alone. He, he did Jack Dawson drown because they, they believed that there was only room for her on that piece of wood, but... I don't fools. know, dog. There was there was some room. It was it was the 1920s. Didn't have math yet. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> and then they didn't have public school, dude. It, it was privatized. Funny. It you was privatized. <laughs> Word up. Well, it's been such a pleasure, man. Let's have you back yeah, on sometime. Man, it's been fun. It'd be fun dude. to have like you meet Julian or you oh, meet M5 oh, and yeah. Julian. Like we would just chop it up for, for hours. Yeah, we should do that. Respect. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll like coordinate we'll reach yeah. out to them see what's happening you guys hear right that on. if you're watching this we're gonna reach out to you and if you already if you already we already reached out to you then this is past me saying got you mother i haven't typically done this part too but like a shout out to my friend patty rose who hosts the spent the podcast Ooh, nice. he'll end every episode with a song typically i don't do it i just like to end it boom and then make you think about what you're going to consume next uh, instead of just like i don't know handing it to you mm-hmm. i suppose um but um, I'm a, I'm such a big fan, truly, and I haven't only I've only listened to it a couple times, but of your album Good Vibes, Good Vibes, Hood Tribes. Even when you're talking a little bit about the synesthesia adjacent stuff with it, like I think the artwork for it is beautiful and Thank really you. helps. It really helps push people to have their own sensory uh, responses yeah. to what the music Thank is you. doing. I was check a to... song though, you know. Let, let's play it to write out the oh, episode right now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. What <laughs> Take a look at what you got on that shit, man. Because um, you've been doing music for a while, and I'm I'm really just glad to see. So we got I got the list right here, bro. Oh hell yeah! Shadow boxing, fast lane, nickel and dime, red skin bandit, close to the pulse freestyle. Oh. Close to the pulse freestyle is awesome, dude. Thank you. That's so dope, and it's a it's a legit freestyle, and it's, yeah. and it's on the record, and it sounds great. <laughs> Forbidden fruit, don't you worry. Take uh, your time and wishful thinking. Honestly, it wishful clocks in thinking. at under twenty nine minutes. The whole project, y'all. Check that shit out. Just under thirty minutes, less mm-hmm. than your TV show. I love um, it. Wishful. I love thinking is the one i enjoy okay all right until next time homie thanks everybody here's wishful thinking by benny cosby Wish you love from afar, like stars in the sky. Wish you love from afar, like stars in the sky. see what you